Why me? Why do I deserve this? What have I done? Why me? We've all had this question. There have been moments in our life filled with deep pain and suffering, and we ask God, why me? This is an essential human question. We all ask for it. The psalmists speak about it. They ask for it. Job asks God, why me? Jesus even asked this on the cross, why me? The question is so essential, it is so ingrained in us, even as a child, the question of why. A little child constantly asking repeatedly, why? Why? Wanting to know, why? Why this? Why that? Why? You can't stop them. It's who we are. We want to know why. And even the big questions in our life, in the deep pain and suffering in our life, we want to know why. The difference in the questions when we ask why is the meaning behind why we ask. Is this a question that we're seeking explanation? Just, just explain to me why this is happening. I'll understand it. Or is it an accusation? Are you accusing God? Why me? Why not someone else? Certainly I don't deserve this. Or is it a testimony? This is why. This is why this is happening. A proclamation. Jesus asks, as he's on the cross, Matthew 27, 46. Lisa read it, I'll repeat it again. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lemma shakmatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had been on the cross for three hours. He had already almost been beaten to death. Nailed to the cross. Suffering from suffocation. That is what happens on the cross, right? You, it's not only the wounds there, it's not the, the, the piercing of the skin that kills you, but it's suffocation. He has to hold himself up with the weight on the, the nails to get a breath, and he falls back in, and his body collapses and then suffocates him. With that, three hours of that, Jesus cries out in the last moments, not with a whimper, not with a cry, but with a loud voice. It's not a complaint. It's not a asking why God. It's a proclamation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is not asking God for explanation. He's not asking the Father, why is this happening to him? He knows why. He knows the plan. He's been telling his disciples this plan for a long time, that this is what's going to happen to him. Jesus knows. Jesus is not blaming the Father for his circumstances. He knows who is to blame. And it's not him. And it's not the Father. The third option is Jesus is testifying. He's explaining why. He's proclaiming why. Jesus is testifying. He's teaching something with a strong, not a passive voice. He is proclaiming an incredible truth on the cross. In his last breath, he proclaims the gospel once again. Jesus is using a rabbinic teaching technique called Ramirez, where he quotes part of a passage 
And he expects his listeners to know the whole context of that passage. And in that time, people would have known, right? When you quote a psalm or you quote a piece of scripture, you would have known the whole context because scripture would have been memorized in that way. We don't memorize that scripture. So I'm sure all of you sitting at home right now know exactly what Jesus is quoting. And you know the whole context. You've memorized this psalm that he's quoted. And it makes perfect sense to you why he's saying this. It would not have been unfamiliar to the Jews that were under, watching him. Psalm 22, Jesus is quoting. Let us read it right now. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. We'll just stop there. Did you, you just see that quick transition? My God, my God, why, why, I'm in pain, I'm suffering, you're so far from me. I don't sense you, I don't see you. But you are holy. But you are holy. Absolute holiness. Absolute perfection. God's absolute holiness and his inflexible justice is at the cross. And that may sound harsh. God's inflexible justice. But inflexible justice equals absolute justice without without absolute justice without this inflexibility to like oh to let things go god has to have complete control and complete justice on all things if there is to be justice in the world we need a a all-powerful god all good god who can execute justice who doesn't waver on this god's inflexible justice is because of his holiness this does not mean that god does not have grace It does not mean that he does not have mercy. It means his mercy and grace doesn't upend his justice. This is a holy, complete, perfect God. So holy, when Abraham encountered this God, he was but ashes. When Job encountered this God, he abhorred himself. When Isaiah encountered this God, he was undone. When Daniel encountered this God, he had no strength left. And Jesus is on the cross because of our sin, because of God's holiness and God's unrelenting justice. We'll go on in Psalm 22. Underline this part. In your father, in our, you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. 
He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near. And there is none to help. Many bowls encompass me. Strong bowls of Bashan surround me. They open a w- wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. This is a psalm of request. Not not just any request. There is an urgency in this song. This is not a psalm of complaint. It's a song pleading for mercy. Pleading for God's help. Jesus is abandoned on the cross by the Father. And that's a mystery which none of us can really fully explain. This is a cry for help in misery. Wondering... This isn't a cry for help in misery. Wondering whether he'll be saved or not. Jesus is being torn apart piece by piece in his flesh. And he speaks, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a proclamation of wrath. And this is a proclamation of faith. These are words of proclamation because Jesus does not whimper them on the cross. But he has the strength to proclaim, to shout out, so all can hear. He doesn't need to yell to the Father, my God, my God. He doesn't need to say that for for the Father to hear him. He could do that in silence, and the Father would hear him. But he cries out for those that are around. He cries out for our sake. The proclamation that Jesus echoes out with a loud voice echoes to the four corners of the universe. They aren't words casually spoken. These are the creative words of God proclaimed to us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A proclamation of God's wrath. There is perhaps no more a haunting word in all of Scripture than forsaken. 
the Father has forsaken the Son. Uh, to be forsaken, right, is to be deserted, to be abandoned, to be separated from. Or I think even worse, in a context, to be forgotten, to be ignored. The eternal Son is forsaken, separated, abandoned, ignored for a moment by the eternal Father. The Father and Son are eternally God. They always exist together. They are one. And for this moment, it seems that they are apart. And there is a a mystery and a paradox to that. It doesn't make sense because how can they ever be separated? This is a a supernatural proclamation. This is is the the ripping open of heavens on earth. This this is why the, the temple is a sense torn into literally to show what is happening in the universe. God being ripped apart. The Son bears the wrath of the Father. And that wrath is to be separated, to be ignored, to be forgotten. This is a divine mystery. And this is the divine grace. At the cross, we are confronted with what is death? Is it the silence and nothingness of the existence when our frail human bodies take its last breath? Is it that when blood ceases to circulate in our veins and the absence of brain waves emanating from us? Yes, that is death. But it is much more heinous and tragic than that. Death encompasses much more than that. You see, you and I are not Gnostics. We know that there are spiritual and physical realms, and we know they're intertwined. They are not separated. They are connected. Death is not just physical. It can be spiritual as well, too. It's being, true death is being separated from the fountain of life. It is being separated from God, the author, the sustainer of all things. This is the wrath that you and I should bear. This is the wrath that we deserve. Romans 6, 26, right? 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of our sin, of our life, is death. This separation from God. Not just physical death, although that is part of it. It is to be forgotten and abandoned by God. That is what we deserve. That is what we earn. This is the wrath that God ushers into Adam and Eve. The removal of his presence in part from the garden. The removal from them from the access to the tree of life. To be separated from God. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 through 9. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the eternal punishment or their eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. This connection of eternal destruction, this eternal death is Really, separation from God. Our penalty 
our curse is to be separated from God's presence where there is no life. When we look upon the cross and see the Son, we see Jesus bearing that wrath. It is our sin. It is His wrath that our sin, the sin of all His elect and all His children, are nailed to that cross. For Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone falls short. Isaiah 59.2 But your iniquities, your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. This is what our sins do. By their very nature, they separate us from this holy God. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far, far from the wicked. He is separated from us. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. The Lord has laid on the suffering servant. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. In Him, right, this is the gospel. In Him, when we were united to Jesus on the cross, His righteousness becomes ours. This is why He takes upon our sin. So we, He takes upon us, Himself, us, and our filthy rags and our sin. And then He gives us His righteousness so that in Him we are connected to the eternal. God, the eternal Father, union with Christ. This is why he made him to be sin. The Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law in Genesis? It's death, separation from God. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. Become separated. From God, from us, for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. We were separated. And now we're not. And that's the gospel. We were separated and now we're not because of Jesus. That temple veil is torn in two and we now have access to the holy God through Jesus. Because of God's inflexible justice. Jesus bears the wrath of the Father because He bears our sin on the cross. Jesus is forsaken, abandoned, forgotten, ignored. So we would not be. So we will never be separated from the Father. At the cross, Jesus receives the wages of our sin, death, separation, being forsaken. Jesus is the intercessor taking our place, taking our sin, taking the death that we deserve, taking the separation and forsaking 
that is ours. Do you see the love in this proclamation on the cross? Do you hear Jesus' love for you? Do you hear the love in this wrath? Will you receive this gift? 1 Peter 2.24 says it this way. He himself bore our sins in, the, in his body on the tree that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Will you receive his love? Or will you bear his, the wrath of God? This is the testimony. This is the proclamation of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a proclamation of wrath, of justice. This is a proclamation of God's love for you. But this is also a proclamation of faith. Previously, and John's, Jesus said this, John 8, 29, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He's saying, the Father has sent me. Father and I are one. And John 16, 32, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Which means to stop here for a second. Who's really abandoning Jesus on the cross? Is it the Father? Or is it you and I? It's you and our, our sins that are, have abandoned him. That's the cause of all of it. We are scattered. And the cross unites us. In this moment of being forsaken, when no visible or earthly comforts are present, all Jesus has is the promises of his Father. That he is not alone. That he's never alone. That even when he feels he's alone, he is not alone. All Jesus needs is faith. Trust in the Father. In this proclamation, Jesus quotes this Psalm 22, this righteous sufferer, the one who has done nothing to deserve this suffering. This is, the, this is the first time and the only time where Jesus refers to on the cross to the Father. He refers to him as God. And surely he's evoking to all of us. And did you hear it in Psalm 22, 4? Did you hear it there? It says, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. In the moments of despair, in the moments of pain, all there is is trust. Trust in the promises and the word of God. In the psalm, we see a foreshadowing of the events of the crucifixion on the cross. I mean, you heard it as I read it. Yet the righteous one that is suffering, that is abandoned, that is forsaken, doesn't dwell in this psalm in agony or doesn't resort to fear. He holds on to the promises. And that's what Jesus is quoting. But in this darkness, 
Hope is sustained. Faith is proclaimed. The righteous sufferer declares, yet you are a holy God. You made me trust. This is my purpose, to trust in you. This is our purpose, to trust in God. And at the end of the psalm, there is vindication. There is hope. Hear it clearly. Psalm 22, verses 21 through 25. You, God, have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of this congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows will perform before those who fear him. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22, not just to proclaim wrath, but to proclaim faith. Faith in God who delivers, who saves. He needs to proclaim hope on the cross in the midst of darkness. Jesus knew that he had to die on the cross. Jesus knew the plan. It wasn't a surprise to him. Like, why did I end up here? He knew it. He foretold it. Dying on the cross, bearing the weight of our sin and God's wrath was his mission. It is his gift to us. In the midst of his suffering, in the midst of abandonment, he has hope. He knows what is going to happen in three days. He has predicted it. Job had a similar hope in his despair, in his suffering. This is what Job said in 1315. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. That's a hope that doesn't make sense, but a a hope that rests on promises, on the words of God. Jesus trust in the Father. Jesus trust in his plan. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. There is no hope to see in this desolate moment. No, no reasonable hope. And yet hope is bellowed out from our Savior's lungs. Jesus gives us the ultimate demonstration of faith on the cross. He models faith for us in the midst of despair. Romans 1.17 proclaims and talks about the gospel this way. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. From faith for faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Jesus spoke and lived out faith in the midst of soldiers and criminals mocking him. They mocked him said, you can't save yourself. God can't save you. And here it is, the righteousness of God revealed from faith of the Son on the cross. 
faith on the promises of God, the promises of the Father. This faith is for our faith. So we might have faith also in the promises of God. That we might have faith in the bleakest moments of our life. That we may have faith in God's promises, in His words, in all moments. This is our purpose. To have faith. To trust in God. We will live by faith. Just as Jesus lives by faith. In the midst of taking on our wrath. Our deserved forsakenness. Our deserved abandonment. Our deserved forgetting. Jesus lives by the promises of God. In the darkest moments of your life, in your deepest suffering, in your wounds, and in your pain, in your loneliness, the reality is we are never forsaken. We are never abandoned. We are never forgotten. I don't mean to diminish your pain or to diminish your suffering or diminish your hurt, but our hope doesn't reside in those circumstances. Our hope doesn't reside in those moments. Our hope was crucified on a cross and resurrected in three days. Our hope resides where Job hope resides. We know that our Redeemer lives. In this moment today, in our, our isolation, in our self-quarantines, perhaps we're getting a little cabin fever. Perhaps we're feeling a little hopeless. Perhaps we have this fear that this encroaches upon our hearts and we despair. Perhaps we have a loved one that is sick or lost one. Our Redeemer lives in these moments. He's not, he's not left us. He is present. Our Redeemer is unrelenting, unwavering. Jesus has faith in the Father. He has unwavering faith in His promises so that we might have unwavering faith in the promises. His hope is not in that moment. His hope is in the Father. His hope is in the Father promises alone. Demons, Jesus, Jesus demonstrates what God asks us to do. That no matter how dark the darkness is, no matter how deep the despair is, trust Him. Live by faith. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the ultimate proclamation of the gospel. It's the pronouncement of faith and hope. It's the knowledge that Jesus bore on the cross so we wouldn't have to. So we wouldn't have to be forgotten. Let us shout it as he shouted from the cross to the four corners of the universe, to our family and friends. Why have you forsaken your son? You did it for us. He did it for us. He did it because He loved us. He did it because He loved you. This is a proclamation of wrath 
wrath that is deserved. This is a proclamation of grace, and this is a proclamation of faith. A.W. Pink writes this, Here was a cry of desolation. May you never echo it. Here was a cry of separation. May you never experience it. Here was a cry of expiation. May you appropriate its saving virtues. And I will add, here was a cry of faith. May you embody it. May you live it out. Brothers and sisters, let's be a people that cry out with a loud voice, Why? Not a wondering why. Not a why of complaint. But a why of testimony. A why of proclamation. Let us proclaim the why of the cross to each other. Let us proclaim the why of the cross to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to the ends of the earth. So we might live by the promises of God. So they might live by faith.